This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson. Hey everybody, welcome back. It's June. It's Civilized Barking. Zach Jackson, Jason Lloyd, talking Browns, talking NFL. Um, Not a ton to talk about. Yet there always is with this team, with this league, uh, under normal circumstances, which for all of us are way, way past, way out the window now. Uh, the Browns would have essentially broken camp, the spring camp slash early summer camp about a week ago. They'd be on to the dead period. Um, instead, Kevin Stefanski's only been back in the building for about 10 days to two weeks as we record this. Um, you know, there were was no rookie mini camp, there were no eight OTAs. Uh, looking at a situation where uh, they're going to get together for training camp and kind of hope for the best. So, Jason, odd times. Um, we're not doctors. We're not uh, medical professionals. Hell, I can barely clean the swimming pool. Um, but, you know, we're, we're kind of guessing. We've seen the guidelines. We've seen the NFL try to make progress. And the NFL has kind of been like, yeah, in late July, there's going to be football. And the rest of us are like, okay, um, we'll see. Yeah, I think the NFL of all the sports is in the best position. They have been really through all of this. They've been the least impacted. I, and, you know, you, like you said, we're, we're getting to the point now where they're missing out on on time together. But obviously they haven't had the type of disruption that the other sports have faced. And plus, by that point, the NBA, we, we think, will already be ramping back up. Who the hell knows what's going on with baseball? But yeah. I guess the point is football – and hockey is still looming as well, but football is going to be able to sit back, watch the other sports, watch what works, what doesn't work, see if they exceed or succeed or fall on their face, and then they can react accordingly. So of all of the sports, the way they're positioned now, I've thought all along the NFL is in the best spot of this. They've had the least disruption, and they can sort of sit back and watch everyone else kind of wing it, trial and error, swing it at a pinata to see the best way to go about this, and then they can make adjustments accordingly. Oh, in the big picture sense, you're exactly right. They've, they've had the time um, that, you know, they've had the resources. They have not had to adjust their schedule except for the off season program, which is something that's generally, you know, just more talk than, than anything else. But you read the guidelines and you see six feet between the lockers and uh, the Steelers, for example, have moved training camp to their home stadium so they can have extra locker room space so they can do all these things. But the game of football is still played with guys falling on each other and slobbering on each other every single play. So, um, you know, for a training camp, no matter what kind of setting that it's in, and the NFL has ruled that every team has to host it at its own, no going away to colleges, no joint practices, no anything like that. Um, you're looking at a minimum of 200 people <clears throat> that have to, you know, be cleared, uh, be quarantined to an extent and stay healthy. Um and, and we'll see. So, you know, I, I the the clarification from the NFL that they reserve the right to reduce the preseason, to alter it, um, certainly says, you know, to me that they're not quite as sure as they've put on. Uh, but they have, you know, so far so good. They have the offseason in, in a different format. And like I said, we're here um, thinking that we're six weeks away from from training camp. Uh, we just don't know. And we don't know to what extent we'll even be allowed in if it does happen on time. So I went back up for a second. You mentioned the Steelers and, and hosting at their stadium, hosting training camp at their stadium. 
The Browns have what? Four fields at their facility? Four full uh, Basically almost three full fields. Three. Okay. Uh, so how do you go from three to one? And how do you get the work done on one field rather than two to three? That's well, I mean, I guess you go to one end and the other. But it's yeah. that that to me, logistically, I just don't see how they can possibly get anywhere near the type of work done at, at, a, at a training facility as, as they will in a football stadium. Well, the Heinz Field grass has, has long been an issue. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But you're not talking about that here. I would just say, <clears throat> without knowing a ton about it, um, they share their facility with Pitt. Yep. And Steelers for years and years have gone to St. Vincent College, which is about 30 miles I believe southeast of the city, uh, and they've done their full training camp there. So I just think their facility is more for sixty players than ninety. Um, talk before you talk about sharing it with Pitt with doing all that, and I just think that they were willing to make those modifications. And I think they'll just probably hire extra people to to treat the grass and deal with it. Um, that's. I don't think there's going to be an ideal situation here for anybody that doesn't have the setup that the Browns have, right? The reason teams league-wide, I think we were down to eight or nine teams that go away for training camp, is there's so much money put into these facilities. I mean, the Browns every year for every year they've been back have put in more millions to do this and, and host this. Um, and it's still hard for 90 guys. And I think it's going to be even harder when you talk about regulations and guidelines and things for keeping people safe keeping people in one place uh but i trust that the steelers said uh, of all the things we got to fight here um that's probably low on the list but that is a hell of a good question well what else are we gonna talk about let me the Bengals, (laughs) for example their every their stadium is their everyday um headquarters anyway so they they have the turf field inside the stadium but they have fields adjacent to where that's where they would normally practice. So they can yeah. mix it up. Sure. Um, the Ravens facility is, is out. It's, it's in the suburbs. Um, I have not been to the new facility. I would, I'm imagining they have a similar setup to the Browns where there's, there's plenty of fields and right. all of that. But um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting it, to me. Like I said, it's more about, okay. Um, you know, can we get these guys here? Are they all healthy? And can we keep them healthy through full contact? through just putting their bodies what through what an NFL training camp does, which is 95 degree heat, right? Three and four consecutive days of full padded two and a half hour practices. Um, you know, all the ways that these guys' bodies are pushed to the max anyway in the August and July heat. Um, and now you're doing that without the precursor of the formal off season and with COVID. Um, it's 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 going to be hard to do uh and it's and it's certainly going to be interesting i i would say this as we kind of transition here because there isn't a bunch of pressing football business to talk about um i think in the grand scheme that the offseason stuff is generally overrated to an extent anyway but with the browns being new again right and the browns having so many new pieces that are playing important roles after all the money they spent in free agency and drafted a, a guy who's never played left tackle to play left tackle and all that's at stake for the quarterback and, and for the franchise. Um, you know, there is no doubt that this, uh, this loss of time, this abbreviated time and these circumstances are going to stress them and make it, you know, complicated for them to be the best version of themselves in September. So 
what was already a big job for Kevin Stefanski, who's been super impressive in everything he's handled, um, is a bigger job to some extent through all of this. And part of the unknown, Jason, is, is nobody can say right now, you know, how detrimental it is. It's just certainly the opposite of ideal for a first year coach. Not to mention, and you're right. I, I, I was, I, I didn't think John Dorsey needed to be fired. We made that Freddie had to go, but you know, they did what they did. They overhauled everything. They swept everything out. And to this point, Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski, I think we don't have a ton to go off of, but what we've seen have done a marvelous job of leading a franchise through really, really uncertain times. There's more yet to come. Uh, we might as well just get right into it. Um, it's an uncomfortable conversation to have, but with everything going on in the world, uh, the way that, you, you know, not only is Kevin trying to implement his system, he's trying to deal with a pandemic. And now on top of that, the Browns have a lot of players who have been very outspoken and, and what's going on in the world today. And, you know, Odell and Jarvis Landry and, and obviously Baker saying he's going to kneel. There is so much going on right now with, with this franchise. And, you know, he has been, even before all of this, he was praised as having an even hand, as having a steady hand. And we've seen that already. You know, he, he attended, I, I thought it was nice that he attended the, the uh, Black Lives Matter protest in Avon. You know, that he he said that he did. He's He's been real big on attach your name to it. He wants to attach his name to it. That's something not a lot of NFL head coaches have done in the past. Uh, I have just been really, really impressed with the way that he has conducted himself, with the way that he's handled himself throughout all of this. Now, can he coach a football team? We'll see. But they've already been through so much in such a short amount of time. Uh, I, it's really been impressive to see. I will say this in full disclosure to you and to my mom and whoever else is listening here. Um, we're on that Zoom call last week. You and I were both on it with you know twenty or so other reporters. Yep. And he's handling all these world issue questions and just speaking with maturity and poise and saying, "Before I answer that, it's not about me. Before I answer that, I will tell you that that goes to the players and we will be unified." And I promise you, Jason, not to make light of any of this. One thing I was thinking sitting there at my kitchen table listening is, oh, my God, imagine if Freddie Kitchens was answering these questions right now. Oh, yeah. You know what? That's a great point. <laughs> I, I, I really was. Um, but yes, but back to the task at hand. Uh, you know, I, I think one thing that's going to come from all of this, and, and this, this goes to the other sports too, assuming we see them, you know, with so much going on, right, uh, in the world, and with COVID and in these circumstances, I just think mature focused teams are going to win, right? You're going to have to make the best of your circumstances to limit your excuses. And when it is time to work, when it is time to put aside what what's going on or what could be going on or these less than ideal, scary medical life, whatever circumstances they are, I just think you need to lock in. And we know that the Browns last year had maturity issues, focus issues, discipline issues on many, many levels. Not not one thing that you can blame on one guy, one position group, one ex-employee or anything. But, you know, across the board, we did a lot of eye rolling, a lot of cringing, right? Yep. And, and yep. you look at winning what it's supposed to be about. And you look at what Barry and Stefanski have done and have said, basically, without coming out and saying, we've made these moves 
knowing the importance of this year for our quarterback and believing that this roster is good enough to produce results tons better than it did last year to win games, which is what it's eventually going to be about. Uh, they're going to need that level of focus and maturity. I, I, I can't come to a better word than that to actually come out and do it. And, and that to me is, is one of the storylines among anything else. Um, will they be able to lock in and will they be able to yes, do all these things that matter in the outside world, but eventually, to be as a focused football team that's behind schedule, right? And then be good enough uh, to make up for this last time. All right, let's put it on the table. What do you think of Baker last week? What do you think about what the NFL is doing? Are there even going to be fans in the stands and will an anthem even be played? That's my question. Are, are yeah. Will they even play an anthem if there's no fans in the stands? Yeah, so my, my thought on that, I'm glad you said that. My thought on that is that they have to because I think, now it's become such an issue and the botching of it back in 2016 was so bad that I don't think that there's any way around the anthem. I really don't. You, you raise an interesting point when you say, if there's no fans, why do it? But I don't think there's any way around it. Um, as for what Baker said, me being 40, Baker being 25, uh, when he first just decides to randomly reply to one fan's comment and it makes news. I roll my eyes at that. Right. Uh, but he knows what he's doing and he came out with the statement after that. Um, I think it's smart to get ahead of it. I think it's smart for the quarterback of the team to tell his guys, I've got our, you know, I've got your back and um, it's going to be something that's going to be out there for all 32 quarterbacks, all 32 teams. I think last year, Jason, I think Baker doing that on Saturday afternoon would still be making front page headlines across the country here on Monday afternoon. I think, you know, he's his hype is lessened. The Browns hype is lessened, but it's still interesting, notable and important that a white quarterback is coming out and saying that. Right. Um, and uh, it will be interesting to see how it plays here in Cleveland, because. I'm not afraid to say this, you know, Hugh Jackson's full of shit and he always has been, and he's been back on the Cleveland media tour for whatever. And one of the things he's been saying uh, for whatever reason, one of the things he's been saying is I wanted Colin Kaepernick. Well, I'm just here to tell you that the Haslam's weren't signing Colin Kaepernick three and four years ago and Cleveland wasn't putting up with it and how that's going to play for Baker, how this is all going to work out for Kevin Stefanski, for Baker, for Andrew Barry, for the Browns, for all, I don't know. Um, but I give him credit for putting it out there, for sticking by it. And it will be interesting um, to see how it's received and, and how it goes. But like I said, I, I have nothing but praise for the handling and, and think that by doing it now, by saying it, um, the Browns can get ahead of the curve and uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm interested to hear what you think. My stance hasn't changed. I had no issue when Colin did it four years ago, I don't have any issue with Baker doing it with now. That's to me, that, that's the beauty of America and the beauty of the constitution. It protects mm -hmm. Colin and Baker and anyone else and affords them the opportunity to kneel. Uh, at the same time, my concern is that nobody's listening to each other. And that goes for the United States of America today. Nobody's listening, regardless of where you stand, you can't have a conversation about anything anymore. It's either you agree with me or you're racist or you agree with me, or you are disrespecting the flag, and how dare you disrespect the flag. Uh, I understand, you know, let me be clear, I understand the flag was never part of Collins' protest. 
And I'm aware of the conversation you had with Nate Boyer about how Nate Boyer suggested that he take a knee. Um, but there's other veterans who don't agree with that. And I don't think that that makes them a racist necessarily. Yeah. You know, I, I have, I, my, my brother was in the Navy. My dad was in the Navy. My uncle was in the army. Two of my brothers are, are retired policemen. I'm very much pro law enforcement, but at the same time, I can look at what's going on today and go, Oh my God, what is happening? That things have to change. I, I've been horrified by some of the things that I've seen on social media um, and, and the way that the police have responded to some of these situations. It's been, it's been awful. And I think, you know, I think my retired police officer brothers would probably say the same thing, mm -hmm. but, you know, I say all that just to say there are military veterans who don't, who don't like what they're doing and who don't that I, I don't think Nate Boyer should speak for all military veterans. And if you yeah. served in the military and you don't, you don't appreciate it. I understand why, because just because Colin Kaepernick interprets it one way and Baker Mayfield interprets it one way, doesn't make a veteran wrong for the way that he feels about the flag. And are there racists that are upset by this? Yes, of course. Yes. But just because you are upset by it doesn't make you a racist to me. I think we're getting to the point where we're throwing that a word around too much. And I know this may not be popular with a lot of people, but I, I have to be honest with myself. Again, I have no issue with it. I had no issue when Colin did it four years ago. I understood why he was doing it. And like I said, the Constitution protects that. And he should have that ability to do that. But at the same time, I understand why, why, why some, not all, why some people, it hurts them. I get it. When, when, when you serve in the military for as, as long as you know, some people do, and, and they love the flag and they love the country so much, I understand why they interpret it that way. My bigger concern is just the fact nobody's listening to each other, Zach. Everybody's screaming at each other. And if you don't agree with me, then you're wrong. And yeah. we've lost the ability to have a conversation and we've lost the ability to have a debate. And that's the thing that I love I, I bringing this full circle. The fact that Colin did sit at first and he had a conversation with Nate and Nate told him, listen, this is the more respectful thing to do. They had a conversation and they came to an understanding. They came to an agreement. That's beautiful. And are we always going to agree on everything? No. But I, I'm just, I'm sad. I'm just sad at so many things uh, that I see and, and just the fact that just nobody's talking anymore. And that's, that's right, left. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on. It's just the fact that nobody's talking anymore. Everybody's screaming. And if you don't see it my way, you're a vile person. And I just, I, I refuse to live life that way. I, I refuse to live life that if you don't agree with me, you're a vile person. And I don't agree with you, so that makes me a vile person. I, it, it just makes me sad. It just, it really makes me sad. Well, first of all, I unfortunately completely agree with you that we're not listening to each other and that we're not changing each other's minds, right? When right. we are listening, whether we're screaming, whether we're typing, whether we're typing in all caps, whether we're wasting hours of our day fighting our neighbors on Facebook, right? Um, but in the NFL sense, here's what I think. I think one thing that is different and I can only speak for where, where I sit on it. And, and I almost 100% agree with, with what you, you said there. When Roger Goodell comes out and says, we screwed up in our handling of it four, three and four years ago. And we are behind whatever forms of protest you guys want to do. That to me is the league stance. So, right, you're not going to change this fan, this person, this retired police officer, 
you know, th- this writer, you're not going to change those opinions, but he's saying we stand with the players, right? Kevin Stefanski saying, whatever it is that we do, we'll, we'll be talked about with our entire team, a diverse group of the guys are the Browns guys are mostly in their twenties, but it is a diverse group of guys from all over the country, from various backgrounds at various points in their career. And I just think if you, if you can't respect that in terms of the Browns, the league, all of the history of this, then just don't watch. Because to me, there's what what little is left to argue about, Jason. What little is left to convince someone that doesn't see it the way you see it or I see it or so-and-so sees it. A lot of that is thrown out the window when Roger Goodell says, whatever our players want to do, we support it. And I think that's fantastic because again, that's, that's the way it should be that the constitution supports that it gives you the right to do that. If that's what you want to do. And I think the league should support it. I think all the leagues should support it. How often does the NFL come out and say we blew it or we screwed up? I right. think that's fantastic. Hey guys, let's talk about Hawthorne cologne. Um, first of all, if you're still wearing that polo blue from your high school girlfriend, well, she dumped you a long time ago. And if you're wearing old spice, well, girls think you smell like their dads. So uh, whether it's for you or for dad, Father's Day is coming up. Hawthorne Cologne makes the perfect gift. Getting it is easy. Most importantly, it smells really good. And smelling good is important. So um, jump on hawthorne.co. That's hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase of Hawthorne Cologne. That's hawthorne.co. Use my promo code ATHLETIC for 10% off. You'll smell better. You'll notice the results. That's Hawthorne.co. Well, you know, I want to argue about Odell. I want to argue about how much you pay Nick Chubb a year from now. I want to argue about this linebacking core, right? I don't want to argue about any of that, right? right. <laughs> and not that you and I or anyone else I'm arguing with can control any of that. Um, the Browns are like America. It's a big fall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, the, this team, everybody can agree, underachieved last year. Everybody can agree. Um, too much too soon but a couple things have happened in the last couple of years um, and one of them is that they have turned the corner in terms of talent now just like three or four good players was a huge improvement but I think anybody you talk to respects the talent on this team and I think when you look at the situation of what they've done how they've spent and what's coming up right 80 plus mil for Miles Garrett 50 for Nick Chubb a long-term commitment to Baker Mayfield, a long-term commitment to Des, uh, Denzel Ward, right? Decisions on uh, Odell and Jarvis, whose cap numbers for two more years are 14, 15 million. Um, Brown's got to do it now. And money has not been an issue for this team, Jason, for a long time, because that's what happens when you're not good, right? You're not making salary decisions. I mean, when I wrote this article that uh, if you're listening to this, I would assume maybe you read it by now or you can click on over and do it. Uh, I knew the numbers were bad. I mean, guys, the Browns have been back for 21 seasons and three first round picks have signed standard second contracts with the team. Three that second round picks horrifying. have signed standard. It's horrifying. Um, Kellen Winslow signed a second contract, but only after he nearly died in a motorcycle accident. And they basically tore up his first one and gave him incentives to earn most of it back because they had to punish him in some way. Um, Dennis North kind of second rounder had a goofy situation where they were structured a different way. His agent didn't file paperwork for the standard free agency claim. 
So he and the team had a, a beef for a while and it was, was resolved in the terms of a new three-year contract. So that kind of counts. Um, that's the only wide receiver that this, this new franchise has ever drafted that signed a second, a second contract with the team, Dennis Northcutt. Um, <laughs> Richard Higgins is, is technically that, but all the, but Richard Higgins was cut during his early in his second year and came back on a different year than his rookie deal. So he doesn't really fall into that. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, like, you know, I, I think we all agree. I think you and I can agree on this as we talk a little football here without getting into specifics or, or we can talk more contract specifics. If you want, we all know they should have been better and we all hold out levels of optimism, um, levels of confidence in certain guys. And damn, I, I really think on paper, I know on paper, there's a lot of offensive talent here, right? But I still look at the Ravens and Steelers and I still think there's a chance that that gap is significant among those teams so uh let's talk a little football where where in the in the nfl universe right now jason a month from training camp let's say where do you think the browns place in the nfl universe at this current moment really is uh middle of the pack maybe a little bit above middle of the pack until we see what the if they can tackle if they can get anybody on the ground if they can keep anyone out of the end zone i i, I think you we've talked about that at length the, the concerns that i think we both share on the defensive side of the ball, especially at linebacker. Uh, but if a couple of those guys emerge and they find a new Joe Schobert out of this young core, then yeah, this team can, can, can really make some noise, but without that proof, you know, I, I got burned last year. We all got burned last year. I said 10 and six in a division championship last year. And, and then to see what that product looked like is terrifying. Uh, you know, the way that they, that they fell apart last year, but at the same time, look how much talent they had that even though they were not well coached, even though they were not disciplined, even though so much went wrong, they were still a couple of plays away from what nine wins. Yeah. I mean, they, it could, it, it, it doesn't take much to flip some of those games. Uh, if they had an adult in the room, if they had discipline, then a lot of that could have gone differently. So that's what leaves me optimistic. Uh, I, I forget now. I, I think I've I've thought all along, sort of eight and eight, nine and seven, somewhere in there. Uh, I, I think, given last year, given the last twenty one years, you you may turn your nose at eight and eight right now, nine and seven. But if they play like a competent team, if they act like adults in the room, if they show discipline, if they show growth, I think fans at the end of the year will be ecstatic with that. Yeah, I think so too. Because. Um, what what we knew before last year, but we temporarily forgot amid the hysteria was it generally just doesn't happen, right? And I know in the NFL, there's a lot of fourth places to first. There's a lot of non, non-playoff teams. But usually those teams have a core, right? And then they have a year that steps back. Like, rarely does a team go from never making the playoffs to playing in the Super Bowl, right? Um, you usually have to, to get there and get in and get that January experience and get that playing for something experience. And we know last December, the Browns had five games and they lost four of them. You know, we know the defense once it lost miles Garrett was just beyond putrid. Yep. Like that Arizona game sticks out to me with Kyler Murray, just jogging around doing whatever he wanted to. Right. And, and um, then it got uglier from there. I mean, mid all, all of this optimism, like, you know, when we last saw Baker 
we were standing in the tunnel in Cincinnati and he was screaming at a beer guy after they got blown out by the Bengals who went two yep. and 14. Yep. <laughs> right. Yep. So. What a last, what a perfect lasting image of our trash season is Baker yelling at a beer guy. Yeah. So like, you know, we'll see. Um, I think Jedrick Wills as a draft pick where the Browns sat was an absolute give it an A. I think Jedrick Wills as a guy who's barely 21 years old, and under these circumstances has to play left tackle for this team, I think there's a lot to be scared about and wonder about, right? You know, I think Miles Garrett, absolutely you have to pay him based on the landscape, and I think absolutely he will come back and finally deliver that big year. But you have to see it, and I don't want to see just Miles break the 14-and-a-half Reggie Camp record. Like, I want to see Miles Garrett change games. I want to see him take over a game in the fourth quarter that changes the season and maybe the trajectory of the franchise, right? I don't yep. want to – 18 sacks doesn't move the needle for me. I want to see him dominate, right? And, like, when we look at these numbers for that Chubb article I did and, and whatever, like, you start to see these guarantees that were paid to J.C. Treader by the old regime, to Austin Hooper and Jack Conklin by this regime. We know what's coming with the options up on Mayfield and Ward and with Chubb, who's not going to play in 2021 for $1.49 That's just not going to happen, right? Right. Um, like you have to get these decisions, right. You have, these guys have to play well. Um, his, you know, this is not to attack Austin Hooper or Jack Conklin, but like historically history says one of those guys is going to flop, right. Big free agents in the NFL, the history is not on your side, you know? So we'll see, um, you know, uh, what's working in their favor. If they grow up from last year. The schedule, as we just look at it, you know, separated as we are, seems to be much easier. Um, the vibe from the organization seems to be a much more mature, much more poised, much more humbled approach. And we have all this uncertainty in the world and in the football scheme of things. And who knows what it's going to look like, Jason? And who knows if we'll be allowed in the stadiums to watch it? Yeah, I'm going to guess the answer. We might be allowed in the stadium, but I don't think we're going to be anywhere near the players. Uh, it's just, I mean, you, if you want to pull back the curtain and talk about how the sausage is made, I, I, even when the games return, I've been holding on to, okay, well, if the games come back, when the games come back, when the games, well, nothing's really going to change when the games come back because our access is going to be really limited. Hmm. Uh, but that's, you know, I don't know how many people actually care about that. Uh, but but well, no, along... I, let, me, let me stop you real quick. Go ahead. Because I, I think some people do care about it. And, you know, I'll just tell you guys, um, whether you're an athletic subscriber or not, you know, I need to watch training camp to write the training camp log to share what I see with the team. And whether you think I know what the hell I'm talking about or not, or even 50 percent, like, you know, that's the only time we get to watch football. We don't watch practice during the season. Right. So, you know, we th that's the only vibe we get. Um, we'll see. Um, the Professional Football Writers Association just last week sent all of us an email that said, we hope you're well. We hope you're ready. Uh, we are prepared to fight for your rights for all full access and to keep you safe and to do all these things. And the email concluded with basically, we don't know what it's going to be. You know, yeah. So I've done my research on how they've done it in German soccer and how sports are coming back. But we don't know. Um, what we're pretty convinced we're not going to be in locker rooms and, and, and that's fine. But as for when we're going to be around the players, whether we will actually be within 50 yards of any of the players and whether we will be able to go to the games and see anything that you can't see on TV, we don't know any of that. 
Um, is that going to affect our coverage? Sure. Will we adapt and and give you the best? Yeah. But like when you look at June, July 28th or whatever for practice, normally I'd be sitting on the sideline, standing there at the tunnel when the first guy comes out at 8.15 in the morning. I don't know that I'm going to be there, right? Or, or that any of us are going to be there. So um, that's kind of where that stands. And, and we don't know. I want to, uh, you've, you've touched on a couple of times, but I, I wanted to take another minute on it. The the article you posted today, I loved it. I, you know, we were texting before we started this podcast and I told you, I love articles like this. I love the, hey, look over here, look what's happening over here because this is going to impact your team soon. And you talk about the negotiation of Dalvin Cook in Minnesota and obviously Kevin Stefanski is very familiar with him and how it relates to Nick Chubb and what's going to happen with Nick. Right now today, Will the Browns pay Nick Chubb in your mind? And what's the magic number to get it done? And I understand we still have other negotiations to go through. It's a long projection. No one's going to hold you to it. But just to give fans some sort of idea of what they're looking at here as they're trying to scribble on bar napkins, can they afford to keep all of these guys? How much yeah. do you think Nick Chubb's going to wind up getting? Well, if you're not a CPA or an NFL capologist, the way you look at NFL contracts is the guaranteed money is what counts, right? agents pass it along as other ways and teams do it, but we know that only part, these are usually only partially guaranteed. And, you know, Jason, when I looked really dug down in deep and what the guarantees were for Christian McCaffrey, 60 million and Ezekiel Elliott, 50 million. Um, that, you know, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And so miles Garrett is going to get around 80. I think, you know, depending on how it's structured, that that's probably where it'll start. Uh, that's what Khalil Mack got two years ago. So it, it generally doesn't get cheaper on these guys, right? <clears throat> um, you know, I would like to say that even if you say you're never going to pay a running back, then Nick Chubb is the guy you pay. He, he's no bullshit, no baggage, 100% dedicated, durable, skilled, big, fast, strong, whatever. Right. But he's still a running back. He still gets hit all the time. Uh, and there still will be dozens of younger running backs each year. Right. It's my feeling right now that they will pay him because I just think that much of Nick Chubb as a player. But you just don't know in this league. And like I said, what, as soon as I saw the Dalvin Cook thing break, where of course he has to take it public because it's the only way he's going to get it done. Um, I just thought, you know, the Browns are a year away from this. And that's, I, I don't want anyone to call me and say, how can you speak for Nick Chubb on that? And that's definitely not Nick Chubb style. You're right. I 100% agree with that. I've established that. But the only way these things have gotten done is for guys to stay away and demand, right? And it's it worked for Zeke. Uh, we'll see how it works for Dalvin. It obviously didn't work for, for Melvin Gordon. Le'Veon Bell sat at an entire year, right? And then didn't get half of what he actually wanted. But, um, my five minute way of answering what you said was a simple, short question. <laughs> yes. Yes. I do believe that Nick Chubb will get his money from the Browns, but I fully understand the complications of it. And that's why, you know, six months before it really starts getting talked about at minimum, right. I wanted to come out and say, Hey, Dalvin makes me think of this because the Browns are going to be here. How much do you think the cap will be impacted by listen, we're not going to have fans. I, I think we can yeah. all agree on that. How much is the cap going to be impacted? Not next year necessarily, 
But over the next two to three years, because I asked you at the combine, will the Browns have the ability, will they have the cap space to sign? Best case, let's go best case scenario here. That never happens with the Browns, but let's go best case scenario. Yes, right. <laughs> Baker, Miles, Chubb, Denzel Ward, uh, who am I missing? That all play to their potential and they all deserve to be paid as such by the league. Given, and I know this is a hard question to answer, but just my concern is that the cap is going to go down uh, mm-hmm. with, with everything going on. Are you still confident that they will have the cap space to sign all of these guys to the type of deals that they could command if they play well, if they continue to play well this year and beyond? Or could this pandemic wind up costing them somebody? Well, I I can't answer it, but the fact that the cap could be reduced, could flatten out um, over a two-year, two to three or four-year span given this is real. Um, there's no doubt about it. So do I think the Browns right now sit in a good enough spot to pay all those guys if those guys play well and to keep things churning and, and to finally become, you know, that that successful, a little bit stable franchise that has these kind of problems, right? Yes. Uh, but it also has potential, Jason, to go from we have all the room in the world. Why don't we just go get Clowney? Why don't we just knock all these extensions out now to getting real tight real quick? Um, yeah. Yeah. Eight, eight guys are, are double-digit um, cap numbers for 21 right now. Um, and that doesn't include Ward and Hooper, who both of whom you know are going to be on the team and are just under, just in the nine-point-something category, right? Um, you know, it, shoot, I mean, you you don't even – it doesn't even have to be the fourth-year options. If Miles and – or if Baker and or Denzel ball out this year, you just get those deals done and get them out of the way. So, yes, um, without sitting here breaking down everything, they can make it all fit. But um, are there worries both about production and about the cap shrinking or, um, you know, things getting hairy if if one of these big contract guys is a, ends up being a miss? Absolutely. I mean, listen, I'm not always right. and You guys who read or listen know that. But when they signed Austin Hooper in the first hour of free agency, I tweeted, I'm, I'm not sure what this means for Odell's future. And like 15 of you said, you got immediately said, you're an idiot. Why would this have anything to do with Odell? Go look up what Odell's do to make the next two years. Yeah. And right. And tell me how you're going to pay three pass catchers, um, you know, a combined 40 some million if you got to pay other guys. Well, you better be scoring a lot of points to do that. <laughs> Quarterback better be thriving in that, in which case he's going to want his money too. So we'll see. Um, you know, they went and got Andrew Billings on a one-year deal, who's a real nice rotational uh, defensive tackle and still only 25 years old. And then when they drafted Jordan Elliott, it was like, well, don't they already have guys at that spot? Well, Billings is on a one-year deal. Ogunjobi's in the last year of his deal. And Sheldon Richardson is under contract for two more years, but his cap number is almost 14 in 2021. So if Sheldon plays like he did again, and, and again, this is these are problems the Browns have not had, Jason. Right. If Sheldon, if Sheldon Richardson has a 2020 the way he played for the last 12 games of last year, then you absolutely need that guy. If he's any less than that, then the Browns are going to have to try to get him to restructure or have to let him walk. That's just how it's going to be. Yeah. So many, like that, that, I guess if they have room for all of the guys that we're talking about, then they're going to lose a Larry Ogunjobi or they're going to lose a, a sure. Sheldon Richardson. That's just the nature of the NFL. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned Odell a few minutes ago and we haven't really touched on it yet. I know we're getting late on time, but uh, 
you know, I, I, again, we were texting real quick before we started and he had the, he was hurt two years ago. He was hurt last year, but played in all 16. If he has another down year, I think we're done with the Odell Beckham as an elite receiver. I think he is just an anonymous, irrelevant guy. If he has another year like he had last year, or if he's hurt for whatever reason, even if it's not his fault, but if he gets hurt, this is this is it for Odell in terms of being considered an elite top paid receiver. Am I wrong? You're probably not wrong. Um, let me just frame it like this. and I'm going to write this and we're going to talk about this. You know, Odell is a different character and he's non-football famous. And last year he brought a lot of drama, right? And he was injured and he never really seemed to be comfortable. And, you know, some of that may have been his fault. A lot of it, there was a lot going on, put it that way. But not to make any excuses, the guy has produced at a high level in this league. And he's an absolute pro. I can tell you from my dealings with him, from what his teammates off the record have told me about him and him getting a bad rap. He has worked his ass off. I think he's intentionally been low key. And I, I I love the concept of Odell and the potential of Odell. However, Jason, you make valid points that it's been three years since he's had numbers that he's capable of having, that he does make a lot of money, that he's not getting any younger. And when we talk about this winning offseason that Kevin Stefanski's had, and handling everything like a pro and all this, he has not stood in front of a team meeting yet. And he also hasn't dealt with Odell Beckham yet after a game after the Browns run the ball 48 times, right? That's a great point. (laughs) The day after Austin Hooper catches eight passes and Jarvis Landry catches six. And for the second straight week, Odell Beckham has two for 14. Yep. We'll see. That's all all I'm trying to say. I I do think Odell gets a bad rap, and I think some of it is his own fault. It's It's his nature. He's his own person. But he he can help you win. And, you know, someone I really trust in the league a year ago said to me, this is so good for Odell because he has the fame. He has all the Hollywood shit, right? If he can just win, then he he can write his second part of the legacy here. Well, that didn't happen. And, well, there was a lot of drama, right? And there was watches and there was Instagram posts and there's all that stuff. So there might be that there. But if the Browns win and he produces and he makes these catches and he continues to be a pros pro and helps these guys get to where, you know, going back to the top of this conversation where there's going to be a lot of stuff flying every direction this year and the Browns are going to have to stay focused. Then he's worth every penny, um, but we're still going to debate his future. And I think what it's just the nature of who Odell is on and off the phone screen, quite frankly, that's always going to make it that way. And it's always going to hang out there. So it's not blame the media for always talking about trading Odell. The reality is Odell's, 15 million cap for the next two years. And he better catch a lot of passes to justify that. Well, we did it again with nothing to talk about. We managed to talk for an hour. <laughs> I don't know if that's a gift or a curse. <laughs> well, I'm glad we got to do it. Um, you know, we've just, I, I thought I had this thought this morning, Jason, while I was plugging in, it was like 11 months ago that we were scrambling from our summer vacations and whatever to have meetings about starting a podcast. And think about all that was different for the Browns, right? Like they put the Browns at the top of the podcast list and had us sitting on all these meetings and answering all these questions because the thought was that the Browns are going to be America's darling and going to take off, right? 
And 11 months later, we're talking about a bunch of guys that weren't employed by the Browns 11 months ago. When we were yeah. These- yeah. The Browns drank the vodka and puked in the punch bowl. <laughs> that, that was the, <laughs> yes. that was their response to being America's <laughs> darling. <laughs> but hopefully, hopefully this year they got it right. How many times yeah. have you said that in the last 21 years? Yeah. So listen, if you're new here, thanks for sticking with us. You don't have to be an athletic subscriber to listen to this. Uh, we hope you will become an athletic subscriber as we get back to football, uh, get back to normalcy. We will be wherever the Browns are and whatever inch of access they give us, uh, we will be there. You know, normally I would be in Austin right now or, or tomorrow for Baker's youth camp. Well, nothing's going on, right? Uh, I went yeah. there last year. We'd be, you know, planning all this other stuff. So we're just waiting for the first day in Berea. Um, you know, there, there could be an additional mini camp thrown on. There could be a chance that some players get back in there and we'll wait for the first mandate and first inch of access we can get. And we'll have you covered, uh, on the podcast, on the site. So we appreciate you guys following sticking. We hope you all stay healthy, stay positive, And, um, maybe, maybe we'll have a relevant and competitive NFL team to talk about these next several months. Maybe anyway, for Jason, I'm Zach. We'll talk to you next time on Civil Life Marketing.